0: The Talking Bull podcast is back. Expect funny moments, plenty of action and untold stories throughout the years. Brought to you by HP Poly. Hello and welcome to Talking Bull, brought to you by HP Poly. I'm Nicola Hume, welcome to our new home. We are here. At Red Bull HQ in Milton Keynes, we are going to be digging deeper into the Oracle Red Bull Racing team. We're going to be chatting to everyone within the team, not just the bosses and the drivers, but also people that build the cars, people that design the cars, everyone that kind of keeps everything moving smoothly on a day-to-day basis. Now, you can listen to this podcast in all the usual places, but also for the first time, you can watch the whole episode too. Now, I feel like we're starting this first episode with a bit of a bang. We are really delving into Red Bull's flying start to the 2023 season. And our first guess is, well, he's quite a recognizable face within Formula One and a linchpin in the rise of Red Bull from Formula One rookies to, well, World Championship winners. Please, let's have a round of applause for team principal, Christian Horner. Thank you. You. Very good. Thank you for being here.
1: Daniel, what a great entry.
0: But seriously, how are you? This is quite a brilliant start to the season. I mean, we are three races in. Red Bull have won every race, mm-hmm. and you've had two one-twos. I mean, in terms of dream starts.
1: It's been the most successful start to a season we've ever had in mm-hmm. our history. So to have won the opening three races, as you say, and a couple of one-two finishes beyond our wildest expectations, imagination. Um so it's been a, a great start to what is an absolute marathon of a season. So we're um not taking anything for granted at this point in time. Yeah,
0: now I know I know it is a marathon, but also there must be a part of you that's that's feeling incredibly confident right now, surely.
1: I think I've been around too long to to uh get complacent on anything. So there's <laughs> all that always that nervousness of what's gonna happen at the next race um yeah and updates are coming through these regulations are still relatively immature we know teams are going to have developments coming over the next few races. So, you know, things can change quickly in Formula 1 and uh, you're always looking over your shoulder.
0: Now, I know you're saying that teams could be bringing in new things all the time. So, are there particular teams that you've kind of got your eye on at the moment?
1: Where's the usual candidates? I mean, the one the team that's really surprised us. I think that everybody so far this year has been Aston Martin. They've yeah. they've made a great step forward and Fernando has been driving incredibly well. Um, and then Ferrari, Mercedes, they, they look like, you you know, they're going to make a step at some point during the season. And, uh, and, and then, you know, even teams like Alpine are showing real, you know, flashes of, of, of pace and form. So, um, you can't write anybody off and that's, uh, you
0: know, it'd be very dangerous to do so. I mean, there are, there are some teams that have struggled with the, the regulation changes. There are some teams that have had a bit of an iffy start to the season. So what do you think in terms of confidence where you see yourself in 20 races time?
1: Oh, 23. I mean that sounds a long way. <laughs> it literally is 20 more races. But, um look, we've just got to treat each race individually and and give our best at every Grand Prix that we go to. And then the championship tables, I've always said of tend to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. And so long as we turn up at each race, get the best out of ourselves, the drivers, the team, the reliability, the strategy, then you know the championship tables, as I say, they they tend to deal with themselves.
0: Is there anything that's happened so far in the first three races that you are particularly proud of?
1: I think, uh, you know, going out and getting a one-two finish in that first race is is always mightily difficult, particularly in the first Grand Prix of a year. Um, and I think it's been an incredible winter for, you know, the whole team. They've all worked incredibly hard off the back of last year's championship, you know, with the handicap of the less uh, aero time that we have and so on. So uh, it's been a massive effort, uh, by by everybody involved, and uh, you know, there's a real buzz around the factory. Uh, you can feel the energy, the, the the positivity that there is just around the place, and you know, results like we've had only only fuel that.
0: Well, it seems like I mean, yeah, the energy here at MK Seven is is quite phenomenal. You're walking around, and you can see it is a team that's very very proud of what they're achieving so far. Do you feel the same?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, look, it's been a dream start for us. And I think, you know, winning a Grand Prix is no mean feat. To win three of them in a row and have two one, two finishes, that's that's a massive achievement for every single member of this team. That that work crazy hours and the commitment, the dedication that goes in behind the scenes. Because at the end of the day, Formula One is the biggest sporting competition in the world. It's yeah. the biggest team sport in the world. And um, you know, it requires everybody to be doing their bit. And that's why, you know, all the trophies in the reception area, uh, you know, many people walk past those every day on their way into work. And it just reminds them of, and what we're all here for.
0: Is there anything? I know it has been a dream start, but is there anything that has concerned you so far in the first yeah, races? There's
1: always something. There's always reliability. You know, is always uh, something that, that is never too far away. Particularly with these cars, we had some issues in the first race uh, mm-hmm. to, that we had to manage. We had a, a drive shaft issue with Max in um, uh, in Saudi. Obviously, Checo uh, had a couple of issues in the build up to qualifying. Uh, in, in Australia, so there's always little things that can uh, can disrupt you. Know, you know your flow. There's so many things with these cars that are so complex that that can go wrong, or the weather, or somebody crashing, and a red flag, and a start, and or a restart. So there's there's so many variables that you just can't control.
0: I mean, do you see those sort of things as as kind of bad luck or just inevitable? It's a very long season; these things are going to happen.
1: Well, I'm a great believer. You make your own luck, and I think that. Uh, yeah, you the know, things that happen, they tend to even themselves out over the course of a season. But uh, you, there's, you, you've got to take your chances, and you've got to grab every opportunity with both hands. And you've only got yourself to blame if you if you don't. So it's about leaving no stone unturned. It's about all the attention to detail. Um, and, and, you know, the higher you rise, the, the more people are, are, you know, shooting at you and, and the more scrutiny you come under, Mm -hmm. the more, uh, pressure that you ultimately you put on yourself. So, um, you know, that's the process that we're, we're going through at the moment.
0: I mean, in terms of pressure, what do you do to relax?
1: What do I do to relax? Yeah. It's a very pressured
0: job that you're in. There must be something that you do once you get home, kick your feet up.
1: Well, look, I I've got um you know some young children. Uh, I've got a 6-year-old boy a 9-year-old daughter and you know they keep me pretty uh, pretty busy, It's not
0: relaxed then. I, it's <laughs> no it's, it's <laughs> not relaxed. My
1: my uh boy is Lego obsessed. So basically I've become like a parts supplier to him That's to quite put nice, together. <laughs> uh my daughter is into ponies and horses and stuff and and look I'm I'm a I'm a country boy and I enjoy being out in the countryside. Uh, For me, that's time to sort of relax, switch off, get away from Formula One, recharge your batteries, and you know, come back in for more.
0: Well, I mean, as we're recording this, we're kind of on a, a little break because there's been no the, the race in China this year. So it's... Yeah, you guys, I mean, you're looking you, you at me guys, like you guys will think, you know, break. no
1: racing, it's a break. Everybody's on holiday. We're all <laughs> taking is- it easy. Uh You know, everybody relax. You know, there's a month between the races, but it is white hot. Okay. In terms of activity here because you've got the first upgrade starting to come through. Yeah. You've got... Uh, you know, an awful lot of research and development going on behind the scenes. And uh, of course, we're building a new engine for 2026 as well. And we're desperately trying to, to catch it up. Here we're building well. it here. It's a startup new business that we've welcomed, you know, 400 new members to the team in. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we've we started from scratch. And, and, and we had a V6, our first V6 engine running uh, about nine months ago. And, and you know we're, we're we're building on that, so there's there's never a dull moment.
0: <laughs> so okay, as an outsider looking in, yeah. we see it as a break. It's not a break.
1: It's You're not, not break. resting
0: at all. <laughs> now, one thing that we're doing on this on this new version of Talking Ball is we're doing 100 objects. Red Bull Racing's. 100 objects. So every guest that comes in yep. will bring in an object that means something to them, that is something to do with their experience here at Red Bull. Yep. And I'm just going to take a wild guess at the object that you brought in with you to add into our Hall of Fame. I'm going to guess it's this baby.
1: Well, I mean, as you can say, here's one we prepared earlier. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, look, I mean, this is, this is the big one for us. I mean, this is the Constructors' World Championship trophy, and you can see some iconic uh brands on there over the years you know cooper and and vanwall and lotus and ferrari mclaren uh mercedes you know so so many you know great great teams and we had a run of uh of, of four of them uh i think they were around here from 2010. Um, and then, uh, and then there was an awful lot of Mercedes badges, um, after that. And then finally we managed to get ourselves back on the trophy, uh, with that Constructors Championship last year in 2022. So, uh, so yeah, very, very proud of this trophy.
0: Out of curiosity, curiosity, who, um, takes this back? Like who, who carries it around? Like when it came to traveling on the plane, was it you hugging it tight?
1: This is, this is presented at a, an FIA prize giving at the end of the year. And and the team or the driver is not officially um, champion until the trophy has been mm. been handed over. So it's always a big moment you know, at the en, end of the year. And uh, the trophy was handed over and uh, you know, I, I brought it back to Milton Keynes. You, you get, brought it back you, to Milton you Keynes. You get it for 12 months <laughs> um, and then it, it has to be returned to the FIA for them to inscribe on whoever is going to be the next winner. And you get to keep a, a, a replica.
0: Is the replica the same size?
1: Is it the replica? That's the is big, that the real one? That's the big question.
0: Oh, do Who has
1: the real one?
0: I'm pretty sure that's the real one because we had to have someone bring it in with gloves yeah, on. But
1: what, <laughs> but what do the FIA have at the end of the year? Do they have the replica or do they have the real one? How do you know, know it's the real one?
0: That's a really good point.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: so the one that you have... Is that a replica or a real one?
1: It's probably a Mercedes replica.
0: <laughs> so, okay, this is officially item this number is officially, one.
1: This is officially item number
0: Item one. number one of our 100 objects. raining high. We're yep. going for 100 because no, super. why not? Talking Ball is brought to you by HP Poly. Poly provide best-in-class communications hardware solutions for the Oracle Red Bull Racing team, both at the track and back at the factory. Their premium audio and video products allow the team to focus on what they do best, winning world championships. To find out more about what Polly can offer your business, visit their website at poly.com. Ensure you have your best meeting anywhere, anytime, every time. Now, back to the podcast. So you joined Red Bull back in 2005. Yeah. And 18 years it's been. How on earth did that come about? Uh, racing has kind of been your whole life from karting, et cetera. So, so yeah. how did you end up sitting in this seat right now?
1: Well, racing, as you say, has been my entire life. I started racing in, in go-karts and then I progressed into car racing, into Formula Renault, Formula 3, Formula 2. Uh, and I started my own team in, in what is now Formula 2 and um, was racing against Helmut Marco's team actually at the time. And I went on to win that championship for 3 years in a in a row 2002, 2003, 2004 and I was looking to take that team into Formula 1 and Bernie Eccleston was pushing me saying that we need new young blood in in Formula 1. I want to get rid of this this guy Eddie Jordan he's driving me mad. Why don't you <laughs> why don't you buy his team? I'll help you blah blah blah. blah. And so I I, I looked at, at trying to put a deal together to to buy what was the Jordan team and at the same time, uh, I was running a Red Bull Junior driver, Antonio Liuzzi, that Helmut Marko had placed uh, you know, with me as a, uh, you know, who's, who was looking after the Red Bull Junior program. And the Jordan team, the deal just got more and more complicated. And in the meantime, Red Bull looked to buy what was the Jaguar Formula One team. And they acquired it in November, 2004. And later that month, um, uh, Helmut rang me up and said, uh, Dietrich would like to, to see you. And so I went to Salzburg, uh, I think it was early December. Um, and, and he said, look, I wanna change the management. I've got big ambitions with this team. And it was so compelling what he was, he was selling out. He said, I want it to be different. I want it to have a different energy. We're not gonna be corporate and we're gonna do things differently. We're gonna do things a Red Bull way. Um, and, uh, I'm willing to take a, a chance on you. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, at 31 years of age, it was, it was, uh, I didn't have to think too long about it. Mm. Um, and he said, look, because I'm giving you the chance and you're young, I'm, I'm going to pay you this much. <laughs> uh, um, but for every point you score... Uh, you know, I'll, I'll pay a healthy points bonus. Okay. And Jaguar scored nine points last year. So if you score ten or eleven points, that'd be a that'd be a success in the first year. And in that first year, I think in the first race we scored nine points. Uh, and there was a different point system in those those days as well. So, uh, and then we went on to score 34 points that year and it was, thank God we did. Otherwise I wouldn't be able to pay my mortgage. But, <laughs> um, and, and look, he, he gave me the chance just as he gave young drivers a chance. He gave, he gave me a chance as a, as a young team principal and he, he supported, uh, me, the team. And, you know, there was some, some difficult, uh, times in the early days as we were going through a building phase and changing the culture and, and trying to get the right staff on board and, you know, Adrian was a key key one of those at the end of, of the first year at Red Bull. I remember uh, saying to, to Dietrich and Helmut, I think we've got a real chance of getting Adrian Newey. I've been talking to him throughout the season. Um, and, that was a
0: big punt. I mean, mean he was at McLaren at the time. It was yeah.
1: and, uh, you know, it was a matter of persuading him and his then wife and, and David Coulthard played a role in it because he obviously knew Adrian, having driven at McLaren and at Williams when he'd been there. And uh, but something just clicked, and um, you know he and I got on really well, and and uh, we just had a similar outlook on on things. And um, you know it was it was phenomenal to get him on board, and then suddenly people started to take us seriously.
0: So your relationship between you and and Adrian, mm-hmm. would you class yourself as kind of mates, workmates? have a little whatsapp group kind of thing meet up some beers when you've had a good season i
1: I wouldn't yeah we're not of a whatsapp generation uh, (laughs) uh, oh no he's uh, paper and pen he's pretty handy on your whatsapp he's a he's an emoji specialist um (laughs) but uh look look, obviously we're work colleagues but we're friends um and, and you know the friendship is incredibly important he's godfather to my, uh, you know, to one of my children. And, uh, uh, you know, that's very, that's very important to me. And, uh, I think that, uh, you know, we've been together a, a, a long time now and, um, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've always enjoyed working together and I've always had a, a, very strong friendship.
0: Mm. So in terms of term turning Red Bull from, the party team, as it kind of started off, to the team it is now. What have you managed to do? What do you see as your main overlook of things over the last 18 years for you to be able to achieve that? Because they weren't being taken so seriously right at the start, were you, until now?
1: Well, look, when we turned up, I mean, we played our music loud. We turned up with a with a hospitality center that we called the energy station that looked nothing like anybody else's. It was free for anybody to get in. You <laughs> didn't need 200 passes to even get through the front door. And, um, yeah, we just, things were different. Things were just very different about Red Bull and people perceive that, that these guys aren't serious. They're not here to win. They're here to have a good time and not a, uh, you know, they've got no aspirations, but, but it was very very different to that because actually we were just as determined as any other team mm. it was just that we weren't afraid to have a bit of fun along the way and 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 express ourselves differently and and that hasn't changed we still are the team that play our music the loudest we're, we're absolutely a pain in the ass <laughs> to who is ever next to us because for sure and some of the mechanics choice of music is a little bit dubious uh <laughs> you know these days but we're just very no Spice Girls. We're very, very different. <laughs> um, you know, as a, as a team, we've got a very much a can-do mentality that no challenge is too great, which is we'd never be making our own engine if that, if that were the case. We'd have never achieved anything that we've done in, in Formula 1. And we've got a real sense of team, that everybody is working for each other, that there's no I in team, that it's about a collective effort. And the one thing that everybody has in common is, is the car and how that performs on a Sunday afternoon at 23 weekends of the year, that's what we're all invested
0: in. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about the drivers. So there is a, I would say, a particular skill that you have in terms of choosing your drivers and choosing correct pairings. When it comes to finding a driver, what, apart from being fast, what else are you kind of looking for?
1: Ideally cheap. Um, <laughs> um, but the two things don't come together very often unless you get a really good junior driver, mm. which we've been incredibly successful at uh, developing You know, young talent, you know, whether that was Sebastian Vettel, whether it's Max Verstappen, whether it's Daniel Ricciardo, Carlos Sainz. Uh, you know, there's so many examples of young talent that Red Bull has given mm. an opportunity to. But, of course, when you get to Formula One, the pressures are different. The scrutiny is is different. And, uh, you know, we've had some great drivers that we've worked with over the years. I'm very proud that many of them have come through our Young Driver programme.
0: Well, it seems like sometimes if if a driver is doing particularly well, when it comes to the fans, they the fans will kind of go against them a little bit. So let's say, let's talk about Seb Vettel. Yeah. So back when he was dominating, yeah. at the time the fans were a bit... Well, he's a bit taken over the... Blah, 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 blah. And then when he retired last year, he retired as a legend.
1: I think everything evolves in time. Sebastian used to win. He'd get out of the car and he'd shove his finger in your face with this <laughs> really annoying habit he had of showing this, this one finger. Uh, and I think whenever you have serial winners in any sport, I I, I think it's, it's easy to lose um you know that popularity and sebastian was a very private person he didn't give anything of himself personally in terms of emotionally or he never let people see really who he was and i think as he got older he got more comfortable with it expressing himself and and people seeing his seeing his his character and his values and and they became you know to love that and he became hugely popular uh, by the uh, by, by the end of his career. And I think, you know, Max is a very, very different character. He wears his heart on his sleeve. You, you you, just know, I mean, he's got a lion painted on the top of his helmet for a reason. He, you know, he drives like a lion. He's got a lion's heart and and he's immensely talented and he, you just know he's going to give 110%. And uh, uh, it's great to see wherever we go around the world just how much support you know he has how much checo has but of course in different countries there's different allegiances to different to different yeah. drivers
0: how does it feel as a team principal to have both of your drivers right at the top of the leaderboard right now? Like, is there a little bit of pressure on you to kind of go, oh, you do what you've got to do? Oh, no, wait, you do? Oh, no, you kind of have to battle it out at the same time? Like, No,
1: it's, it's great. Having both at the, at the sharp end is exactly what you want as a team or as a team principal. And I think that uh, you just become very conscious then about just making sure that both have the same opportunity because you want it to be about what they do on the track, which is, you know, there's no number one uh decided a driver within in any contract that we've ever had it's always been about what they do on the track and uh that's the way we want it want it to be and so we we are scrupulously fair in terms of the way that we treat the drivers in terms of the upgrades how they're they're they're, um distributed the parts the weight of the parts you you name it even to who drives out the garage first uh, for a qualifying session that alternates from weekend to weekend.
0: We have to talk about Daniel Ricciardo. Yep. Um, how is he settling in? Well, it's great to have him back. <laughs>
1: um, we didn't want him to go in the first place. So yeah. he, anyway, he went off in his, on his uh, life experience, um, you know, through a couple of different teams. And, uh, uh, and, and it, certainly the last couple of years, we haven't seen the real Daniel. I mean, when... Daniel drove for us. He was, he was right up there with the very best and one of the best races. Some of his overtaking moves were legendary. Yes. <laughs> and um, we didn't really see that over the last couple of years. And uh, yeah, Daniel would have been out of Formula One if we hadn't given him uh, a, a lifeline. And it just felt that it was too soon for him to be calling a day on the sport. So, And for such a big personality. I mean, he's the kind of guy that lights up a room when he, when he walks into it. So... So it was great to get him back in a different role uh, this year, um, and for him, I think to also start to try and fall in love with the sport again, because I feel that he'd lost that that passion through the experiences that he that he had, and he's you know, he's a really sensitive guy, and and under behind that big smile, um, you know, he's very vulnerable, and I think that that the experiences that he had the last couple of years, you could see it took its toll on him and his enthusiasm for the sport and certainly when he first came back it wasn't a daniel that we that we recognized um
0: he was driving differently he think? was
1: driving differently uh he looked different he'd lost a huge amount of weight mm. um and and he was almost unread. you know he'd lost that self confidence that self assurance and and bit by bit that's that's coming back and we're we're getting to see the true Daniel hmm. again, the true spirit that, and, and you know, his performance is, is getting ever more impressive.
0: Do you have a, a plan for him? Is he going to get any FP1s in or anything like that for this season? He won't be
1: doing any FP1s, but he'll be doing some tar testing for us and, and really? any opportunity like that. And to have you know, a driver on the bench of Daniel's, you know, quality and calibre is is phenomenal for us. Um, you know, should, uh, God forbid, any, uh, we ever need to call on his on his services. It's, it's just great to have a driver of his quality uh, available to the team. Do
0: you know what else I find is really nice? What I've noticed, especially on, on social media and stuff, is having Daniel around, I think also brings out the best in Checo and Max. It's like their personalities have now also come out even more that Daniel's around kind of bringing it out more.
1: Well, he's a big energy guy. Yeah. I think Max learned a lot from him when he was here uh, in in the early years. And I think, Look, Daniel, um, he's performing a different role this year. He's, he's doing a lot of marketing work. He's doing a lot of work on the simulator, um, you know, and in the development of the car and supporting over Grand Prix weekends. And I think having his energy around the two drivers, um, it makes them f- feel more at ease. It's less awkward between the two of them, particularly when the two of them are competing against mm. each other. And they both genuinely like him because he's just that kind of guy that you you, you can't dislike Daniel Ricciardo.
0: So when it comes to like a, a normal season, obviously this season has been a fantastic start for Red mm-hmm. Bull, but it's not always the way. Have you ever come to a point where you've faced a, a moment of a, a wall, if you will, and you've managed to crash your way through it and absolutely smash it out of the park, but you've had that moment of adversity that you've overcome? We've
1: had so many. I mean... Uh, And that's Formula One, it's the most competitive sport in the world, in that when we came into the sport, we had to fight to get into a competitive position. Uh, We did that in a relatively quick amount of time, joining in in 2005 and winning by 2010. Within a five-year period, we turned the team into a championship-winning organization. Um, We then had four really successful seasons, Uh, and then a big regulation change for 2014, and the engine that we had, we just couldn't compete against our opponents with and and that was really tough for everybody in the team for an element that we couldn't control. Um, we were unable to compete and uh, and then heads start to drop and and you can end up in a downward spiral yeah. very, very quickly. but we managed to to stop that and be able to focus on the things that we could control. And in doing that, we were able to win races in every single season, bar one, um, in the intervening years, uh, at circuits that would suit the characteristics of, of our car or opportunities that we we're able to, to grab. And, and then once we got a competitive power unit that Honda provided for us, suddenly we're back in the hunt, we're back in the game, but with all that hunger and, and motivation to get back into a, into a winning situation.
0: Is there anything in particular that you are looking forward to this season? I'm gonna take a wild guess and think that you're really looking forward to Vegas
1: Well yes yes <laughs> and no I mean Vegas is going to be a crazy race it's going I mean to be racing crazy. racing down the strip in Vegas on a Saturday night uh, is is just gonna be insane yeah. and the amount of interest that we've had in that race is totally unprecedented. I've never known a race so hyped. Uh, and so much interest is there as there is in Vegas. Uh, for me, it's a different kind of landmark. There, I turned fifty in uh, the Vegas weekend. So, uh, I mean, if all the play- if you've got to turn fifty and you've got to do it somewhere, you know, Vegas is not yeah, a bad place. Yeah, but you're working. It's not a bad place to do it. So
0: <laughs> he wants to be working on their fiftieth birthday. Yeah,
1: you know, it's it's only a number at the end of the day. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. Right. Well, so we are. Um getting uh red bull fans to get in touch with questions for our guests. Yep. So, I do have a list of questions here for you. This is from uh, Lisa in South Africa who says, "What were your thoughts on all of the red flags and restarts at the end of the Australian Grand Prix?"
1: Well, it was frustrating. I felt that yeah, you know, they didn't look like there was that much debris on the track. I think if the if if a safety car had have been um kept out there, they could have cleaned the circuit and we could have got a couple of laps of racing underway, um, as we've done in previous races, but, uh, it felt a little trigger happy to red flag it. And then, and then restart just for a, for a lap or two where the, you know, the sun was low. There was only ever going to be one outcome and from a, from a restart like that. And, uh, unfortunately we got it.
0: And this question is from Nimish in India, who says, Mr. Christian Horner. That's a really polite start. It's very polite, Mr. Christian Horner, uh, how do you instill confidence into the driver after a run of bad results or a crash and give them the confidence that you trust them and that the team is with them?
1: Well, Mr. Nimish, uh, I think it's a matter of it's a matter of just talking openly and honestly with your drivers or engineers or any any member of the team, because the confidence is a key factor in any sport or in any any walk of life. And I think that uh, that's something you have to feel for yourself, but you have to feel that people have got the confidence and support around you. Um, and I think if you feel that, then it's more probable that you're going to deliver to your highest standard in the knowing that people have got belief and faith in you
0: and this is from thanishka also from india how do you stay calm during the race i mean uh, we've discussed how you kind of relax when you're at home but yeah, yeah. i mean look in the
1: race it's so consuming there's so much going on it's like being in the you know a very busy air traffic control center. There's just information constantly coming at you. So, so you're trying to digest all the information. There's certain screens that I have in front of me that I'm following very closely, whether it's the the race plot or the sector times, or, um, you know, the race trace of exactly where the cars are on the circuit. And of course you're communicating with the key people, whether it's, you know, the head of race strategy, head of race engineering, our sporting director, and of course back with the factory in Milton Keynes that are providing uh information and uh and and options so it's it's very much like a military um, operation uh and there has to be discipline in that and it's something that where time just flies flies by and um i think experience helps but you're far likely to make good decisions with a calm head than being hot headed and making emotional decisions.
0: Because It's quite interesting sitting here talking to you now, because you actually are just speaking at exactly the same level and exactly the same pace as you would during a race, which I find quite impressive. You're just very calm all the time. You're just a very calm guy. On the outside. Guy. Oh, okay. You know? fair That's fair enough.
1: So, but, it, you know, I think, you know, we're, we're all very British about it, really. I mean, yeah. there's the the Italians—they shout and scream, and they get a bit more emotional. Or, you know, everybody has a different character. I think I think British as a nation are a little bit more stoic.
0: Yeah. And this final question is from Sophie from France, who says, uh, "What are the three words that you would use to describe your 18 years at Red Bull?"
1: Three words. Three words. Um. I'm not going to use any swear words. Um Well don't
0: do
1: that. <laughs> um my my time at Red Bull these 18 years has been one has been amazing. Uh it's been hugely rewarding from working with so many great um you know team members and 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 and, and uh, so many you know great great members of the team. Um and it's been extremely fulfilling in uh, you know, realising your goals and ambitions of winning world championships, winning races, pole positions, fastest laps, and then managing to do it for a second time round as, as well. So they're probably the, the three words I would pick.
0: Here's my final question for you. If you weren't sat in this seat right now, mm-hmm. what's your backup plan? Well, there what was, would you be doing There if you was here? never
1: a plan B. <laughs> so I would be probably unemployable um, or, you know, working. I'd probably be working outside somewhere. You, you know, I enjoy the countryside. I enjoy being outside. But I have no idea. I had no ambition outside of being involved in motorsport. I wanted to be a driver and that I was honest with myself. I was okay, but there was lots of drivers that were okay. And it's, I, I, I was... Too in love with the sport to let it go, so I thought I'd just apply my uh, myself into another area, and that's that's exactly what I did.
0: Is there a part of you that watches drivers now, and you just you you're itching to get back in the car?
1: No, none at all. No, no, absolutely not. Even yeah, a little yeah, bit not, tempted no. on a sim or something. It just feels like a, a, such a a long time ago. Yeah. And then when you see the speed of these cars and how physical they are, and uh, you know, how brutal they are on the on the drivers. There's nothing in me that <laughs> the desires to get, uh, you know, back in one. What...
0: That's fair. That's fair. Now, our friends at HP Poly have uh, sent us some audio, so yep. we've got a bit of a challenge for you. So if you want to pop in your wireless headphones for us, thank you Makes very sense. much. So we're going to play you three clips. Now you get a point. Right. If you can name me the driver saying the message. Okay the race it was set at and the year that it was in. So we're going to play you clip number one.
1: Okay. We have to
0: remember these days. We have to remember these days. We can't, there's no guarantee that they will last forever. Enjoy them as long as they last. I love you guys.
1: Well, uh, the driver's is easier. S- Sebastian. Yeah. The when and the where uh, are probably uh, slightly harder. So...
0: Uh, which which race and which year? Uh, Otherwise, you don't get any points if you just. I make would a say
1: pencil. it's it, it's after he's won his world championship in maybe in 2013, uh, which he did in India. So I, that's probably what I will go for. Oh,
0: you're so close! I feel like I want to give you half a point for that because that's really impressive. It is Seb Vettel. Yeah. and it is 2013, yep. but it was the US Grand Prix. You were so close there. there so you go. half a point.
1: Half, half a point. point. Yeah, I'm best.
0: in a good mood, it's fine. Right, clip number 2. Hi Chris. Sorry guys. Sorry.
1: Where's well, Danny Kiviett? Um the question <laughs> is where does <did> he crash? because <laughs> <laughs> um, he had a few of them. Um I would say that was in 2016, and he had a he had a mighty crash in in Sochi in Russia. So I would I would probably go for that.
0: I can't give you a point for that. You can't give I'm me You got the that. driver right, but it was driver. 2015, and again it was the US Grand Prix.
1: He crashed there as well.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> right. There's your third clip. Here we go. <laughs> was that a
1: good race or was that a good race? You tell me. Christ. Okay, it's, it's Max Verstappen, but yeah. when he says, was that a good race? Was that a good race? He's 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 won what 37 Grand Prix for us so far. He's had his um, fair share. Yeah. They've all been pretty <laughs> decent. Um I would say so. I, I was I remember him saying it I think last year. So 2022. Um I think maybe Miami.
0: Again, I'm going to give you half a point. Okay. I'll give you half a point because it is max mm-hmm. and it was 2022, but it was Azerbaijan.
1: Oh, there you go. So you
0: got two half points. You got one out of three.
1: That's not That so wasn't fast.
0: so bad. <laughs> 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 but thank you very much for joining me. That's all the time we've got, I'm afraid. It's been a, a pleasure, pleasure to chat to you. Good luck for the rest of the season and hopefully I'll catch up with you at some point later on. And that's it for this episode. Make sure you join us next month where we're going to be chatting to legendary designer, Adrian Newey. See you next time.